to all of you mothers. I know that this can be an incredibly difficult time for people. I know that there's people who have lost their mother or people who have lost a child or people who were not able to be a mother and know that I understand the pain, not firsthand of all of those things, but I know that there's pain. And I want you to know that God sees you as no less and he sees you in your pain. He sees you where you're at and he knows what you're experiencing. And Jesus firsthand experienced pain. And so for those of you that this is a painful day, I I truly am sorry. And I hope that you know that you are still loved and valued no less by God. We're going to continue our series on Paul today. I'm supposed to send the junior high and high school kids. Get out of here. (laughs) As always, I would love to see you tonight. However, there's no youth group because you're going to be with your mothers. So have a great day in your class. It's a good thing that Reed was sending me eye signals. (laughs) Or they'd had to sit through the writings of Paul. Last week we began, and I talked about the life of Paul. And I talked about how we have a role in that, and that our role is not to be a shield protecting the cross. Our role is to be a door that opens others to see the cross. And when we try to be a shield, that means we're going to keep the bad things out. We're going to tell other people how to live. And yet, I've said all along, I want us to live righteous lives, but I want the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. Not me, not you. We're there to love and to show people who Christ is. And so that's what we talked a little bit about last week. If you didn't get to hear it, I hope that you'll tune in and listen online or get the CD. But today, on week two, we're talking about Paul's writings. And next week, we're going to be talking about his journeys. And then in about three, four weeks, I've still got more on Paul, so you're going to be, man, I'm tired of this guy, but that's good. All right, most of Paul's writings, just so you know, I'm giving you a little background, and then we'll get into the meat of what's going on. Most of them were written as letters. They're pastoral in nature. They were written to churches he had relationship with or to individual people. They were all written for a specific occasion. Now, here's where it gets tricky, because as a person who takes a conservative approach to biblical text, and I believe it's all God-inspired, and yet knowing that he wrote to a specific group, it's why we call it an occasional, because he's addressing specific events going on in that church, in those people at that time. However, there's still truth that speaks to us almost 2,000 years later. So it doesn't mean because it was written to a different group that it doesn't apply to us. And yet we also have to understand there are certain things that he's talking about that are very specific to those people. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us, to, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he made accepted in the beloved. In other words, you as individual people, every one of you have been chosen by God and worthy of his love. So those of you who are in here today that say, well, but you don't know what I've done, Jeff, or you don't know my habits, or you don't know my sins, or you don't, I'm here to tell you, no, that's not true. That's a lie that either somebody, whether it's the enemy, Satan, or your parent, or somebody else told you that is not true. You, as an individual, 
are loved, accepted, wanted. And until you can grasp that idea, that concept, until we start with that, it's really hard for us to ever move anywhere else in a faith journey. I always say faith journey because this. I believe that people sometimes have that road to Damascus experience where they encounter Jesus, but I think a lot of us, we grew up in it, or you began to come, and you begin to grow and to learn and to develop. And the interesting thing is, it tells us throughout Scripture, we're supposed to be growing, which means it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing journey, an ongoing experience of getting to discover who God is. And so the problem is, if we believe it's a one-time thing, what happens when I then struggle with this? What happens when I blow it? What happens when my relationship doesn't work out? What happens when I feel loneliness, sadness, depression, isolation? What, then I feel like I've separated myself from God. And he's looking and saying, there is no separation. It's a journey. You're going to go through those times. And when you think everything's always going to be perfect, then that's when you're in trouble. A few years ago, my wife and I and my parents, my children, were out on a pontoon boat in Wisconsin. Beautiful day. It's sunny, and we're sitting out in the middle of the lake, and we've been out there for probably an hour and a half, two hours. My wife, who has about as much interest in fishing as you have in bullfrogs, unless you're like a bullfrog connoisseur, she does not care, but it's like, we might as well throw a line out there. So she's sitting reading a book with a line in the water, and suddenly she gets a fish on. And it's a good-sized fish. We can tell by the way she's battling this thing. And all of a sudden, at the same, almost simultaneously, wind comes up, there's chaos on the boat, my daughter's favorite chair goes in the water, and we're at about 30-foot depth, and she's like, go get it! I'm like, what do you want me to do? (laughs) And all of a sudden, the water turns choppy, she's catching a fish, we land the fish, but we're now blowing, and I go to turn the boat on, and nothing happens. It's just nothing. It won't turn on. It will not turn. And we're getting blown, and the rain is starting to come down. And you have to also know, both my parents, I love them very much, but they're not um, mobile. <laughs> they walk short, short distances with a walker or, some, or a cane. They're not like, oh, we'll just, let's just float to the other side and walk the four miles back to our camp and deal with this. It's, I've got to get them somewhere and we're blown, it's not a big lake, it's about 120 acres, but we're blown all the way across the lake, and I'm ju- I jump off the boat into the water to keep us from crashing into someone else's dock. I'm trying to get us steered away from that. The wind is blowing. I'm trying to get my kids to help, which my daughter's still mad about the chair. <laughs> and my son is a huge help, but he's also like nine. So he's like <laughs> trying, like, and he was small. So he's trying to push us away from the dock, but it looks like he's just petting and tapping the dock. Finally, I get us alongside this dock, and I actually tie us off to some random stranger's dock. Who then walks down and goes, what you doing? I said, our boat won't start. He's like, oh, let me just pull you back across. So he's got this little boat, and he pulls us all the way back across the water, and we're just putting along, barely moving. And I was like, we get there, I'm like, can I give you some money? Can I? He goes, no, it's happened to all of us, I'm sure. Don't worry about it. He goes off. Five minutes later, it's beautiful, sunny. My dad sits in the captain's chairs and goes, what was wrong with the boat anyway? I go, I don't know. I couldn't get it to start. He goes, whoop, and it fires up, which is not, you think, oh, that's great. Your boat's fixed. No, it's infuriating. It's not, oh, good. Everything's good. We can go back out because it's sunny again. It's like, just leave me alone, everybody. Just leave me alone. I'm not like in, 
I was in fishing clothes, but I'm wet up to my chest. I'm just frustrated. And that's what life is. Everything's going along fine, and then out of nowhere, something hits us. And then when things are going good again, we're still mad that things went bad. I was literally mad on vacation over, a stup- over getting wet, which we do all day long on vacation. We're water people. We vacation near water. And yet I'm mad and frustrated and beside myself. And that's what we do all the time. And God is looking and saying, hey, this isn't how we have to live our lives. We have seven letters that Paul wrote which are considered with consensus dates that people say these were Paul's letters. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. There are letters that conservative scholars say these were written by Paul. More liberal scholars would say they're not, and that's Colossians and 2 Thessalonians. And then there's letters thought to be pseudo-epigraphic, which basically means written as Paul, but not by Paul. And this would be um, many scholars, a majority of scholars would hold this, this idea, and that is Ephesians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. And then Hebrews is in its own category because Paul never even attributes, like he never claims this was written by me. It was attributed to him for about 1,600 years, but about the year 1600, roughly scholars got together and say, it doesn't match his form, it doesn't match his style, it doesn't match his writing, and there's no greeting, and there's no signature by Paul. It probably wasn't, and yet they didn't remove it from Scripture because they still see it as valid. So even though Paul probably didn't write Hebrews, it makes it no less valid. So I've got a couple of Scriptures we're going to put up here. First is 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I often say, if I read all the scriptures, I'd just be doing your homework for you. So you can jot them down, and you can read them later. And I used to get so mad when I'd go to a class, and there'd be a reading assignment, and the teacher would then read it in class. And so I always said, I'm not going to do that to people. I'll tell you what to read. You choose whether or not you read it. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Um, Paul's writings are often thought to indicate several of his letters have not been preserved. They believe that before 1 Corinthians, that we know it, there was actually a letter previous, prior to that, to the Corinthians. And that 1 Corinthians 5, 9, you'll see that. A third letter, or in actuality, probably a fourth letter to the people at Corinth, called the Sever Letter, is referenced in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, and um, also 2 Corinthians 2, 7, 8, and 9, verses 8 and 9. So these are letters that Paul wrote that we don't have record of, just so you understand what I'm referring to. Um, There's probably an earlier letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 3 and 4 show us that there was probably something prior to what we call the book of Ephesians. And then there was also a letter that he wrote to the church at Laodicea that's referenced in Colossians 4, 16. So if you're wondering, well, don't we have all of Paul's writings? No, according to Scripture, we're missing at least four letters that Paul wrote. Now, we don't know if there were others. These are the ones that we can, from Scripture, say Paul wrote these things. Now, many people have tried to reconstruct. This isn't a joke. People have actually tried to reconstruct. What would Paul have said to these people? And here's where I say that's a danger. How are you 
going to figure out what somebody else wrote to a people 2,000 years ago when we don't have any context. Yes, we know some things about like the church at Laodicea, and we know some of the things that were going on in, in Ephesus. Here's the correlation of that today. People will try to tell you, based on one little thing they see in Scripture, how you should or shouldn't live, what you should and shouldn't do. And that's dangerous to build a theology around one Scripture. And here's why that's dangerous. Because God is so much bigger than one verse. There have been entire books written about this person that we know nothing about in Scripture. But they're written as if this is how you ought to live. The one that comes to mind immediately is the prayer of Jabez, best-selling book. We have one mention of him in Scripture, and yet the book, the prayer of Jabez, became a mil- over a million copies were sold. And we tried to build a theology, and I was, in the, I was in the church, I was in the circles that did that. And that's a dangerous thing, because then you're trying to say, this is what God wanted you to know that you didn't know. And that's when the church starts adding things. And I think we have to go back to sometimes when we want to follow Jesus and it's genuinely in our heart, it's something we really want to do, we start to make up or put things in because it makes us feel better. I was raised in the Pentecostal holiness tradition. We were going through books yesterday and um, I was getting rid of a bunch of books and there was a book on the Pentecostal holiness tradition and I said, I want to hold on to that. And my wife kind of was like, why? And I was like, because even though it's not necessarily my hardcore thing, somewhere at my roots, it's still who I am. But the danger of the Pentecostal Holy Trinity tradition, which I love and admire, is we came up with a list of rules. And we came up with rules because a group of people wanted to be closer to Jesus. And then the next thing they did is they told their kids, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do this, don't do that, don't go here, don't look at that. And so we made this whole list of rules. And if you followed these rules, then your life was going to be perfect. And the problem is, our life wasn't perfect. And then we have a whole group of people who have left the church because they said, all of that was fake, all of that was garbage, all of that was made up. I followed your rules, and my life is still a mess. I'm still in pain. I'm still lonely. I'm still isolated. I'm still struggling with addiction and depression. I'm still struggling in my marriage. And we followed the rules. And so what that means is, instead of looking and saying, wait, were these really the things of God? Or were these the things of man? They've tied them together, and they've thrown out everything of Jesus, because if it didn't work, then why would I want to follow him? And yet these were all made up by people. And that's the danger in us taking a scripture, a single verse, and trying to create something around it. And so in Paul's writings, you have to take all of it. You can't take one thing where it says, well, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and this is what happens with the Holy Spirit. You have to take the entire thing. And so bad theology gets created when people say, women can't preach because in 1 Timothy, there's one portion where he says they shouldn't. And yet he's talking specifically to Timothy about a specific church at a specific time, and yet people create an entire theology around it, and there's an entire denomination that won't let women be on the pulpit. And you're saying half of who God created can't do something? That's dangerous, and it's wrong thinking. And we have to be careful. And so if we take any one little thing, and we say, this is what I'm building my entire theology on, That's why I say, even within our church, I do not build my theology on one thing. And I say, 
very freely. You guys can disagree with me, and we can still worship together. We don't have to. In fact, you're not supposed to, when they hold up like a picture of me, it's not supposed to have you look exactly like me. I often use these examples, but stained glass windows are not nearly as beautiful if it's all one color. If it's just a bunch of blue, then all you have is a blue window. A quilt looks much better when it's sewn together and you have different colors and they come together and they create a picture or a pattern or a form, but you don't have a picture or a pattern if it's all one solid color. I can hold up an all black blanket and say, oh, don't you love the Last Supper in this? And you go, what? Wait, what? No, it's all black. Yeah, but you have to just imagine it because this is what we all have to look like. We all have to fit into this form and this mold and this thing. And that's not who God created us to be. He gave you unique giftings. He gave you unique things to add to the body. And through his grace, he takes a bunch of messed up people like us and helps shape us. And the reason I'm talking about this today is because when we get to Paul's writings, this is where the church seems to divide instead of come together. And interestingly enough, one of the things I'm going to talk about in just a minute is the common, or what this all means to us. So what does this mean to me today? That Paul wrote this years ago. What does this mean? Number one, what Paul wrote was God-inspired. But you cannot take one tiny little thing, understanding that we don't have at least four of his letters that are referenced in Scripture. We know that, according to even conservative scholarship, four of the letters that are attributed to him were probably not written by him. They're not in the same handwriting. There's slight differences in style and form. Some of them, the time period don't match. And if you think, Jeff, are you throwing out the validity of Scripture? No. Do you know that we have Gospels that are not in the canon of Scripture? It's true. We have Gospels not in the canon of Scripture because at some point we said we're closing this. We're not saying God's no longer speaking to people. But in order for us to have an agreed-upon text, we're closing this now. And so it doesn't make it any less valid that God is still speaking to people today. He is. But we have chosen to close the sacred text, which is okay, and live within there, but you can't take one thing and say, well, this is what Paul meant, and throw out half of the church. So what it means is it's still God-inspired. Paul's letters being written to specific people and addressing specific issues we can still allow them to speak into my life. And when I encounter the struggle of those issues, I can know that God is bigger than one person's opinion on what that text says. We still have directives and wisdom from God through that. And here are some of the common themes. I've got a list of uh, scriptures up here if you want to jot them down. But um, number one, suffering. That's a common theme for Paul. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Joy, Philippians 1, 18 and 19. Grace, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Jesus is returning, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7. Be a people that forgive, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And seek unity in the broader church body, Ephesians, the entire book. The controversies we deal with today in the church are no different than what Paul was dealing with and much of what he addressed. But he comes back to one common theme, and that is this, unity. 
You may not agree with everything I say. That's okay. We can still worship together. I have a hard time when it's not the same football team, but that's okay. God is bigger than that. We may not agree on everything. We may not agree with everything on the, with the church across the street or this church down the line. I've been told, oh, Jeff, you're not very, even within my denomination, you don't necessarily fit. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm glad I got this denomination because we're kind of independent franchises. We hold to four basic tenets, and we say these are the four uncompromisable things, but otherwise we get to sort through and wrestle and struggle and find where we believe God is taking us as an individual church. And that's the beauty of this. Seeking unity in the broader church is something we desperately need to do today. I'm not saying we compromise our values of what we believe, but I'm saying maybe we could be open to dialogue instead of just saying they're the enemy. The enemy is real. There are powers and forces in this world trying to destroy you. I believe that, that's, that we have a real enemy, but I also believe we have incredible grace because of who God is. So what about the controversial things Paul wrote? You know what? We have to wrestle and struggle and believe that God is going to give us wisdom. I'm not going to criticize someone that comes to a different opinion than me, but I'm not going to say because you think that, that that's necessarily right either. So what about where Paul talks about the big one is women in the church? I hold to the idea that he's talking to a specific group about a specific thing because throughout Scripture, we see Christ not only connecting with women, but having them be used to evangelize people. The first person he appears to post-resurrection is a woman. And what's he tell her? You know? She's supposed to go and tell. Go, tell, let them know. So in other words, he's given her that command, but he never takes that command away. Go, tell, let people know. There's other issues that the church struggles with that Paul wrote about. And I think we have to understand that he's trying to confront when the church didn't even know who they were and you got churches preaching all kinds of crazy stuff and Paul's still saying, hey, let's be in unity. If we can agree that Jesus is the Son of God, if he is our Savior, if he is our healer, if he is the one who sent his Holy Spirit and he is returning, and those are all things that are common themes for Paul, if he's agreed on those, then why don't we say it's okay, we don't have to agree on every minute point? So 2,000 years ago, the church was struggling with the very same things we struggle with today. The problem with the writings of Paul is that we want to take one thing. Because if you look at his whole broad thing, becomes really easy to go, no, that's not at all what Paul was even intending. But people want to take one scripture here and one part of one letter there and build a theology around it. I think it happens more with Paul's writings than anyone else because of the nature of what he talked about. But I guess if you walk away from today's message with anything, it's this. 
that we're called to be in unity, not to find the flaws in somebody else. And I think that would be my encouragement to you as a people. Let's be a people. It doesn't mean we don't have standards. I've said before, our standards for our living better be higher than anything we're ever asking anyone else to do. And it's our job to live a righteous life and let the Holy Spirit deal with the person on our left and our right. Let's have the Holy Spirit deal with that person. Doesn't mean we don't pray for them. Doesn't mean we don't have a a level at which we say we're going to live by. But let's stop condemning those who don't look like, sound like, act like, and do what we want. But we condemn them because we're righteous. Because that's not at all what we're called to do. So, I know I could do weeks of study just on Paul's writing alone, but the desired outcome of this entire series is to better understand that God uses flawed people for great works. Last week we talked about the fact that Paul murdered, Paul persecuted, Paul chased people. We know that he was a flawed person, and yet God sees him and uses him to do incredible things and to write incredible things for us to learn and grow and develop and become who God created us to be. So, not much of a Mother's Day message. I'm terrible at these Mother's Day messages. Moms, you're great. Women who don't have kids, you're great. God created you. God had a plan for you. And that's a beautiful thing. Those of you who have struggled because, like I said, you've lost your mother or you've lost a child or you never had children, those are real and painful things. But God wants to meet you in that pain and never tell you that you're less than because that's not how God sees you. God sees you as who he created you to be and his desire is for you to become more and more like him. And that's a beautiful picture that we have. For all women today, as you leave today, we have at the different doors, we'll have somebody passing out flowers to you. So it's children from our program. Don't get excited. It's not somebody famous. However, children from our program are pretty great. So as you leave, though, again, we invite all women, take a flower. Know that you're valued. Know that you're loved. Know that you're no less called by God. You're no less ordained by God. You're no less chosen by God and you're no less equipped and enabled to do anything that anyone else does within the church. The controversy this week over whether or not women should speak in the church and what what roles they can take and what roles they can't, and it makes me sad. It makes me sad because we've missed the very point that God's trying to make, which is that there's hope for you and there's hope for me. And that hope isn't in our gender, and it isn't in our leaders, and it isn't in our great programming, it's in God. And that's a beautiful thing. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the women in our church. I thank you for the fact that you have love and grace poured out upon us so that we can come into relationship with you. God, in the areas where we don't understand the writings of Paul, I pray for clarity. God, for those of us who have struggled with our role because we don't agree with 
or because we were taught a certain thing and it condemned us and it held us back. God, bring us freedom from those things. Let us see you. Let us know you. Let us experience you more and more in real ways. Thank you and praise you for what you're doing in and through this church. In your name, amen. I hope that you'll join us next week for the dessert auction. Even if you say, oh, Jeff, I'm on a diet. I don't care. Bring your checkbook and just write a huge check. Um, We're sending probably 20 to 25 kids. We'll send to camp. And our goal is to help them get there. Last year, James said we sometimes raise 100 bucks. Last year, we raised 125 bucks per kid. So almost, not quite, but almost half for each child. So come on out. The desserts go for way too much. So if you're thinking it's a bake sale, it's not. We spend way too much money on desserts. We know the desserts are not worth that much, people. We're not stupid. It's that we love our kids so much and we want to get them to camp. So come on out. If you can't be here, people always say, oh, I can't be there. Can I make a donation? The answer is always yes. But come on out and join the fun. It's a lot of fun as well. It really is. To watch Jim and I battle back and forth for the pie, things like that. To watch how much some cake will go for, you'll go, really? For one cake? Yes, really. For one cake. And if it were your kid going, you'd be glad. So anyway, join us next week. We'll see you all soon. Happy Mother's Day.